listeners and welcome to another episode of Extra Extra. I am Jason Johnston Yellen, your White Walker. Some people have suggested Whiskey Wizard. Mm. And this is Joshua Hatton, Whiskey Cherub. The cutest, <laughs> maybe not the roundest. That, that, that's no, not what I want to say, Joshua. Thank you. Thank you. That's not what I want to say. Good. But let's just stop at the cutest. There you go. The cutest Whiskey Cherub around. I do like the Whiskey Wizard. I think that that might be... That might be fitting, either that or, or the whiskey kernel. You know, if you wear one of those southern ties, you could sell fried chicken and and uh, and whiskey all at the same time. Thank you. White Walker might be might be too much. Might Maybe be too- a little too cruel. Some people have found. All right. There's a cruelty there. Oh, okay. All right. Whiskey wizard, it is. <laughs> there you go. The whiskey wizard. So each episode of Extra Extra, Joshua and I bring a news article, a whiskey-related news article, to the attention of the other. We spend the first half of the episode reading through it, occasionally editorialising, and then we spend the second half of the episode having a little whiskey chat between the two of us, and then we get out of here after a tight 30, a tight 35. We have been known to go a minute or two over that, but we do try to get in get it said, and get out. So with that said, Joshua, what are you bringing to my attention and the dear listener's attention this week? I like to say in and out like a knife wound, right? (laughs) uh, You're talking to somebody who who grew up near Glasgow. (laughs) We don't like to talk about knife wounds. (laughs) I got this article in my mail through the Mark Brown newsletter. We have made reference to this before. And so that email contains many articles. And this one is from fortune.com. And it's it's an opinion piece, but it's an opinion piece fueled by some facts and some numbers. And so I thought thought it'd be a good one to cover. It's also a very interesting topic that I think can take us into some fun places. So the headline reads... Prohibitionist dogma has no place in government alcohol guidance. Good grief. Yes. And again, this is like a top shelf headline. Right? (laughs) This is from, uh, uh, again, fortune.com, and the author is David J. Hansen. It was published on November 22nd of this year, of 2020. And so it says Imagine you're at a friend's party. You finish nursing your first beer and casually reach for a second. Everyone immediately stops and stares. Your friends start whispering to themselves, wondering if they should stage an intervention. Ridiculous and unjustified, right? Wrong. At least according to the new draft guidance from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, which nonsensically recommends that men have no more than one alcoholic beverage per day. For decades, the government has urged Americans to drink in, quote, moderation. Historically, this has meant that up to two drinks per day for men and one drink for women. The differing advice results from physiology, not sexism. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, quote, Alcohol resides predominantly in water, and pound for pound, women have less water in their bodies than men. This means that after a woman and a man have the same weight drink, the same amount of alcohol, 
the woman's blood alcohol concentration, BAC, the amount of alcohol in your blood, will tend to be higher. Based on decades of scientific evidence collected around the world, this advice has been, key, has been a key reference point for customers, healthcare providers, and alcohol researchers like me. With, okay. with, with me so far? I am. Okay. Still trying to get over this being at a friend's party thing. Like, uh, well, it goes, it goes. That, that takes me back. <laughs> uh, it goes on, it says, but in July, the USDA released a draft report overturning this decades-old evidence-based guidance. Officials proposed setting the limit at just one drink a day for both men and women. This change is based on shockingly flimsy grounds. In fact, the USDA advisory panel acknowledged in the report that, quote, only one study examined differences among men comparing one versus two drinks, end quote. Yes, that's correct. The panel is relying on just one study to radically change the U.S. government's 30-year guidance on moderate drinking for men. The panel also made broad-brush statements like, quote, risk increases above zero drinks, end quote. And, quote, mm. alcohol is an unhealthy substance, end quote. That mm -hmm. kind of moralizing would gladden the hearts of 19th century prohibitionists, but has no place in the modern evidence-based dietary guidelines. Alcohol use disorders among men have declined over 30% between 2009 and 2019, according to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. It's telling that the advisory panel describes its proposal as, quote, aspirational, which mm -hmm. is to mm -hmm. say not science-based, nor is it realistic. Mm -hmm. Who but a prohibitionist would consider having more than one drink per day to be alcohol abuse? This is where, I mean, the whole thing's been kind of interesting up to this point, very interesting up to this point, but here's where it takes a very interesting turn. So David goes on and says, this change is not merely academic. It'll have significant real-world consequences. Healthcare practitioners refer to dietary guidance when conducting screening and brief interventions for their patients' alcohol consumption. We can't seriously expect physicians to have meaningful discussions about alcohol abuse if the threshold for concern is having a couple of beers at game night or more than one glass of wine at a dinner party. Of course, alcohol abuse is a serious problem for some people, and impaired driving remains a major issue. However, the vast majority of adults who, drinks, who drink do so in moderation. Providing evidence-based guidance to inform their drinking is critical. And then finally, the proposal to redefine, quote, moderate, end quote, Drinking for men is not supported by the latest research or scientific evidence. Government guidance on alcohol consumption lacks credibility and will be widely ridiculed and disregarded, undercutting the effectiveness of the USDA's official dietary guidelines. And then finally, finally, just a little side note to, to who David J. Hansen is. I was going to ask you this at the start of the second half. David J. Hansen. preempted me. Yeah, there you go. 
He's a professor emeritus of sociology at the State University of New York at Potsdam. Or is it Potsdam? I don't know. Uh, he has specialized in alcohol research throughout his career. Hmm. There you go. Oh, that was a that was a quickie. We were we were through the reading of that quite quickly. We were as I well, just said a second ago. <laughs> was it quick? <laughs> well, you know, usually you 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 interrupt me and or I interrupt you and but I <laughs> but in a way I like that there was zero interruption. It this is a very different story than any other we've covered in the past. And you don't think this story is similar to the one we covered out of the UK where they were talking about alcohol allowances and how to measure them? Um, no, because it had specifically to do with label label guidelines and we don't mm, we don't Yes, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And and this is a US based right? It's the USDA, right? So it's having different implications. And and one of them, and and I think that this is really good, is healthcare practitioners. You know, they're not experts in in alcohol, right? Just like, for instance, you go to a doctor, and your doctor says, "Oof, you know, oh, you're vegetarian. You really, you should start eating fish because you need such and such." Um, vitamin. You should start eating this because you need you, such and such vitamin. You need your omega-3s. Right, your omega-3s. And the fact of the matter is, most general practitioners are not nutritionalists. They take their information on very basic guidelines to deliver advice to their... Jesus Christ, I can't think of words. To deliver advice to their patients. <laughs> and so, because they are not the experts in this... This article is suggesting experts should be the ones who are informing any decision the USDA should be making. So before we get out of the first part here, and we're yeah. all we're doing setting the table for the second part. Yeah. In that article, it mentions the USDA for the last 30 years mm-hmm. has recommended men have no more than two alcoholic drinks a day. Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't. Right? <laughs> That's, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But there has to be a difference between having your your two daily rounds of alcohol seven days a week and then, you know, maybe not even drinking in your own house, but then going to a party, a dinner party, what have you, a pub, and having more than your daily allowance but still less than your weekly allowance. Mm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to hear, well, okay, we're not going to recommend two daily drinks anymore. It's going to be one. <laughs> okay, so I've gone from 14 a week to seven a it's, week. It's cutting everything completely in half. And, and I want to get to this after the break. So why don't we... Okay. It's a bit early. I understand that. Hopefully our listeners are okay with an earlier break to the second segment. So here's the thing. Men now, instead of 
having that allowance of two drinks per day or 14 drinks per week, our drinking, at least as far as the suggested guideline, is it, they're looking to change it by 50%, a 50% reduction overall. And I can't help but think when I go to my GP and they ask me, you know, let's talk about your health. What's your diet looking like? How many drinks per day are you having? Should that change? Should those guidelines change? I mean, typically speaking, I would be having a drink a day or maybe two drinks a day. Quite often these days I'm having no drinks per day, but on average I would have a drink, maybe two. But if I started saying two, maybe three, are, is my GP going to say you should really be thinking about help because here are these new guidelines? But you're not really telling them the truth anyway. I am telling like, them the truth. Why don't you? No. Wait, why wouldn't you tell your doctor the truth? Because then they'll send me for a liver ultrasound again. Which you passed with flying colors. <laughs> I, think, I think it's important to be truthful with your doctor. I, I, I just don't think that's correct. I don't think that's correct. I think you absolutely have to tell your doctor what they want to hear. Like, I think that's a non-controversial point. Wow, you're taking this this second part of this segment to a whole new area. Look, am I on that paperwork? Am I going to write 35 drinks a week, or am I going to fudge that a little bit to get a bit closer to the number they want to see? Well, it's you, <laughs> so I guess you're going to lie, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the truth because, because I think it's all bullshit anyway. Right. And I'm going to back this up a little bit because you, you had asked me um, as we we're going into this, you know, did, did, did you know that it was a two drink maximum per day, that that was the suggested amount? And I didn't. But I do know what common sense is, right? Like, like I know how much drink I should be or should not be having. I know where my limit is. And, and I've never gotten myself to, to dangerous areas. Sure, I've gotten drunk. It's happened many times. We've all been there. We've all done that. But your general day-to-day, I'm just going by what I feel is right and... But, it, but there, is, there are reasons to have these guidelines because not everybody has that understanding of what is right for them. There are people whose addictive personalities lean toward alcohol being the thing to be addicted to, right? But that's the interesting thing about how the article started. Yeah. Imagine being at a friend's party. You've finished a beer. You're reaching for a second. People are looking at you. You're thinking, are they preparing for an intervention, right? Mm. See if you're a Scotsman and you move to the United States. That's exactly what you live anywhere you go, which, like... (laughs) One beer gets you in the front door. Like, that's just how things start. Yeah. And then you go from there. And so it was interesting in our in, in my early days of being over here with my wife. And as people heard on One Nation Under Whiskey, you know, my wife doesn't drink alcohol. It mm-hmm. just doesn't agree with her. She doesn't like any aspect of it. I could argue it doesn't agree with me either, but I persevere. <laughs> so there's... <laughs> so, so... I'd, so it was twofold for me coming over here. Number one, I've changed cultures. 
that that's a big one. But now I've also got somebody who doesn't drink mm. looking at every single drink. And so I have I have spent 20 years thinking about my drinking, thinking about the culture wow. I came from, mm-hmm. having a look at you know, are we reckless in Scotland? The answer is yes. Are we, but are we also social, right? Are we, you know, are we harming ourselves? That's the downside, right? This this beverage that you and I love, that we are professionally and personally dedicated to, mm-hmm. is bad for us. Mm-hmm. If If you let it run away with you, bad things will happen to mm-hmm. you. You have to have a sense of moderation if you're going to pull off what you and I do personally and professionally with with whiskey, with rum, with mezcal, with sherry. And and so, you know, I, I had an episode, just an episode that makes it so much more serious than it was. <laughs> I had a moment. I had a moment the other week uh, where, you know, I was I was, you know, just I was in my house, if you can believe that, during lockdown. And I thought I just fancy having the taste of whiskey on my tongue right now, mm-hmm. right? I, I just wanted the taste of it, just like you might crave a cup of coffee or you might crave, you know, a soda, mm-hmm. also not good for you. I had that little kind of, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have that flavour? And I thought, but it's alcohol. I can't just go and do that. I have to do this within set boundaries. Wow. There has to there has to be an accepted time of day to do this. There has to be an accepted quantity to pour. And I know that if I do that first one, well, I probably shouldn't do a second or a third until, you know, huh. much later or even the next day. And so that that's the way in which this culture has started to impact upon me. And, and I am trying to think carefully about it. I also, as I as I told you previously, I did a tasting with the malt nuts where we went through 14 different lechigs, uh, got very little sleep, and then went to the doctor the next morning for an annual checkup that included blood work. And I failed miserably, miserably. And uh, and that's, that's what led to the liver ultrasound. Two weeks go by, Jason hasn't drunk anything, he's exercising, and I passed my liver ultrasound with flying colours. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that type of game, and, and I've, I've talked to you about this before, and I might have even said it on one of our podcasts. If I'm drinking of a day, I'm not tasting of a day. And if I'm tasting of a day, I'm not drinking of a day. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing both pro-level tasting and <laughs> pro-level drinking uh, of a day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you know, there has to be a way in which you temper the amount of alcohol coming into you. Um, and then the, the other part that you and I talk about are the size of the pores. Mm-hmm. You know, when you and I are doing cast selections, we're not we're not using a full ounce no. to do that. Gosh. You know, and if we're going through five, six, 10, 12 samples, we're nosing everything first. And rejecting so that we're not putting all of that through our liver to make, you know, cask, uh, cask purchases. Mm-hmm. But then if we're drinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never pouring a full ounce of a, of a cask strength unless it's going to be, unless, but lying to the doctor, <laughs> unless, you know, I'm sitting down to watch a movie with my wife 
and mm-hmm. I need a port to get me through that hour and a half, two hours, mm-hmm. then I might put an ounce, I might put an ounce and a half into a glass and I'll sit and I'll savour it over the duration of the movie. But I'm not pounding after 30 minutes and moving on to another same size pour. Interesting. Um, yeah, you and I have very different approaches. Uh, I have no no issues of time getting in the way of when I want to taste something. And the fact of the matter is I mostly want to be tasting things. That thing that you said before is I'd really like to have a little taste of whiskey on my tongue. I'm doing that somewhat often. I just want a little bit. Just what's that like? What's that like? I do it with beer too. Like right now during this conversation, I could really go for the new Sierra Nevada (laughs) celebration because the 2020 is fantastic, but I know I'll open it. I'll have a couple of sips and then I'm done. Like I am not interested mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in finishing that beer. It's just my tongue is looking for that flavor. But yeah. I, w- I want to pull away from us personally here for a second. And I want to see if we can go down the path of what if this goes through? What if the recommendation of number of drinks for men is cut? from 14 per week to seven per week. What are some of the potential negatives that you see happening? And I'll, I'll, I'll start off. Well, actually, this I would say, let me start off with a potential positive. I think a potential, a potential positive is going down the route that Scotland has gone. Like I personally would like to see the the overall limit of alcohol in your bloodstream when you're driving to be brought f- much further down. Not because I think it needs to be that much further down. I think when you bring it down, people will have less of a tendency to say, ah, it was, it was just one more beer, right? Mm-hmm. If they know that that number's way down... They're making much better decisions when they're traveling. They're doing the the designated driver or they're taking pours home or they just decide, you know, it's going to be a clean night for me, whatever. I I like that potential because I'd like to see drunk driving come down much further than it already has. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the other side effects, be they positive or negative, that could happen should this decision be made? Um, I don't know if it's either positive or negative, but I will be lying to my doctor more. <laughs> like now, now, you know, how many drinks do you have on average in a week? Well, that my number's probably going to be eight or nine uh, as opposed to 24 or, or 21. It is tough, though, when you're sitting in the office trying to work your way through the, through the math for the sheet. Mm-hmm. Like, how many drinks do I have in a week? Well, if it's a good week, if I'm really busy, it could be... A very big number. So I'm going to have to be guarded. Yeah, I'm going to have to be guarded with that number when I next see my GP. So um, wait, 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 hold on a second. You're having 21 to 24 drinks per week? Sometimes 40. Wow. You wouldn't have 40 in a, If you and I have a busy week, we can get up to 40. Yeah. This, this is the thing, right? It's 40 Right? It's 40 drinks. It's not 40 ounces, for Christ's sakes. I'm not yeah, drinking 40 no, ounces no, in a this, week. This, this is a really good point. You know, I'm my current thinking is going against what life looks like now. 
And the fact of the matter is what life looks like now is not what life has looked like for, you know, the first 46 years that I've, that I've lived. And so, yeah, if we're on a business trip, you know, we're, we're having a couple beers, we're having some whiskey and then the next day comes and then the next day and yeah, it, it, it adds up. And, and during that time, at no point in time, are we getting pissed drunk? We're just never living our never. day. Never. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, yeah. We're. <laughs> this is the blessing and the curse of the, of the booze professional. Yeah. Right. You you, you drink all day. You go to sleep just fine. One hundred percent compass mentis. Then you wake up the next morning feeling great, and you start the day all over again. You do the same thing all over again. It's. Yeah, yeah, that's the weight that I have lost during lockdown is all alcohol weight, all of it. Um, because as you're kind of alluding to here, yeah, I'm drinking a lot less. Mm. But that's, why I'm, that's why I've got a new realm to be careful in, right? Mm. That having a taste, it's all around me, right? It's all around yeah. me every day, yeah. all day. It'd be really easy to taste this, taste that, taste this, and go on and go on and go on. But instead... It's trying to show some control. But but back to your question, the, the move from two down to one, aside from your doctor telling you that you need to be more careful, and I agree with you, the potential for, for drunk driving or drink driving, as, as we oh, enjoy yep, calling that's it, right. yep, drink in, in the United Kingdom, um, is anyone paying attention? Is it going to change anything? Like, yes, people to wear a, wear a mask and don't go near bars during COVID. Has it made a difference? Right? You tell people, hey, how about instead of two a day, just one a day? Mm. Anybody really paying attention? That's why I asked you my question about did you know that it was three decades yeah. of being established as two a day? No, did not know that. Um, so does it make a difference? I, I'd be more... I'd be more concerned on where it will make a difference that you and I haven't even thought about. Yeah. That would be my concern, is, is how is this taken advantage of? And, and as we are talking about increasing sales of alcohol, and we are talking about, and, and during lockdown, more people dabbling mm-hmm. In the world of alcohol, you know, you and I have talked about being careful on one end of the spectrum. And and this was the conversation I used to have with Tamara. For us in Scotland, problem drinking is when you when you need a drink to fall asleep and you need a drink to wake up Mm. and you need a drink to get you through your day. You know, and, and she would always kind of look at me you know, sideways whenever I said that, because over here, that is 100% full-blown alcoholism. (laughs) And for us in Scotland, that's the point at which you want to take your mate aside and say, you know, you might want to rein this in a little bit. I'm I'm a little worried about you when I see this. And so that, 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 that to me is, so long as I'm not there. And that's why, you know, Mm -hmm. getting to that point during daytime, where I'm thinking, I could just use the taste on my tongue. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little more hesitant because I'm wondering what else that yeah. suggests. Yeah. 
Right. A little taste of alcohol to get you through the day. However, you tell, you know, that, that's, that's where I always scratch my head when people say, oh, I can't function without coffee. Oh, if I don't, don't even talk to me until I've had my first coffee, right? <laughs> uh-huh. You could put alcohol in there quite easily, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, and you would very quickly say to the person, you might have a problem, right? But it's, but it's coffee, Right, you're you're not allowed to say that about coffee, but I I do wonder about those same kind of that personality, that dependency, yeah. where you know is is the coffee really waking the person up, or is it just part of their morning routine? So there's a there's a numbing through alcohol uh, of one's brain and and of the pain one experiences. Mm-hmm. That if if alcohol is being used to numb, look doesn't make a fucking hill of beans difference if we're talking about a recommendation of one spirit one alcoholic beverage a day or two a day if you need alcohol to numb the pain you have a very serious problem that you need to seek out help yeah. for yep. Yep. one drink a day two drinks a day what are we really talking about I, I don't disagree with you there. I, I do have a, a general sort of overarching concern of general practitioners taking this new information and, and, and giving recommendations based on something that, based, based on a new guideline that was developed without any evidence, without science behind it. That makes me... That makes me nervous. And what makes me nervous ties back to what you said. It's what we don't know. Like, we don't know what that will have, what sort of effect that will have from a doctor's perspective. Or if you have to go into a hospital for something and they have to change their guidelines because of, because of this. You go into surgery. Like, we don't know what decisions will be made off the back of this potential change to the guidelines. And that's got me a little nervous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Given the, uh, the, the, the culture in which we live, the, the science-free aspect of this is, is very concerning. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this very quickly, and then, then we'll get out of here. We'll be within our our window. Around about the time of my dad's death, I, I had a real problem with my foot and I, I couldn't put any weight on it and and it just felt really tight all the time. I remember, I remember, yeah. Right? And I was over in Scotland at the time and I, I put up with it for a, a few days and it only got worse and worse. I then, uh, you know, stayed in Scotland for my, my dad's funeral, my dad's cremation, and then ultimately flew back here. Over the course of another couple of weeks, foot, great pain, great pain. Uh, I go to my doctor, who I, I like a whole lot, a mm-hmm. whole lot. He's a, he's a good, good lad, and we have a very good relationship. And I explained my symptoms to him. First word out of his mouth was, it's probably gout. And the first words out of my mouth were, fuck you. Because, <laughs> like, like, because of the industry we're in, and he knows the industry I'm in, mm-hmm. he immediately went to gout. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I can tell you right now, it is not gout. I know that for a fact. He said, okay, Jason, let me run some tests. So he runs the tests, he calls me up. Mm-hmm. It's not gout. I okay. said, I know it's not gout. And he said, let me, let me send you for this test and this x-ray and let me send you to this foot specialist and let me do this and this and this. 
I'd spent 30 days being tested on and they finally came to the conclusion yeah. there was absolutely nothing wrong with my foot. Nothing, nothing, nothing <laughs> was wrong with my foot. The pain just went away. I carried on about my business. It's huh. never hurt since. The fact that he went straight to gout, mm-hmm. I think, speaks to what you're talking about exactly. with these changing parameters. Perfect. Uh, exactly. Yep. Okay. On that note, my whiskey cherub know. friend, we will wrap this up. Uh, thanks for bringing the, the article to our attention. We, we will all be careful when we see our GPs. We will consider what we put on the paperwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if anybody if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can still get us at questions at one nation under No E in whiskey. Otherwise, the whiskey cherub and the whiskey wizard will be back next time. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.